Uh, so uh, we got this new year, and we're doing a new uh, series called Vision 2020. Cody's title, not mine. So anyway, um, but uh, so we want to start off this year by just thinking about some intentionality about this year. And, uh, and so an interesting thing happened last night. A lady came to me. I was down front. She came walking by on her way out and she gave me a hug and she's attended the church forever. And she's, and she's old. I mean, like self-admittedly old, like much, much older than me, old. And I said, I gave her a hug. I said, hi, sweetheart. How you doing? Uh, and how, and, and you know, I just, how you doing? She said, well, I'm still here. Yes, you are. So uh, she's still here, and you're still here. And uh, here's my question for you. Why? Why are you not here in this building today? Uh, why are you still on this earth? Why are you here? So there's two ways to think about life. One is that we're all just accidents. We're just a bunch of molecules that happen to get together. Two people uh, had some chemistry, made us, and, uh, and we're here, and, and we'll be here as long as our body holds out or luck holds out or whatever it is. And it's all by chance, and it's random, and, and there's no way to really make much of it. Or there is another worldview that seems less fatalistic and less hopeless, and that is the biblical worldview, which says that you're here on purpose, that God put you here, and your parents may have thought you were an accident, but you are here on purpose because God put you here for a reason. And so if you approach the new year, you're just an accident, then, well, whatever happens this year doesn't matter. But if you understand the biblical uh, kind of uh, teaching it, that God put you here for a reason and has left you here to at least begin this new year, whether you get to finish or not. None of us will get to know that uh, until that time comes, but you are here and you're here for a reason. So my suggestion is, is that you are here because God chose you to be here because he wants to work in you and through you in this year. If that's true, it makes sense to kind of figure out how to cooperate with that, doesn't it? Doesn't it make sense that if I'm here for a reason, I should figure out the reason and I should move forward to that somehow. I should embrace that, engage in that, and, uh, and, and maybe that is the way to have a great year. So before you kind of get out your to-do lists and your uh, resolutions or whatever, and maybe you've already done them, I want to suggest something to you. Who you are in the new year is more important than what you'll do in the new year. Who you are is going to be more important, more impactful for your world and even for you and your satisfaction. Who you are is more important than what you do. So we write a New Year's resolution. It's always about, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that. Some of us, we're going to do stuff that helps us. But I want to suggest to you that maybe we should concentrate first on who you are and who you're becoming, and then the other stuff will fall into place and actually will actually be more empowered to fall into place. So I want to kind of talk about that because a great life doesn't just happen. You know, you don't just kind of happen upon a great life any more than you happen upon a great marriage or you happen upon, you know, a, I don't know, a great skill set, whatever it is. Almost everything in life that is great, that is of great value, you got to work at it some. You got to put some effort into this thing. And the same is true with your faith. By the happen upon is kind of like a fairy tale. You know what I'm saying? You ever meet somebody, their ship's going to come in anytime. They're not doing anything looking for the ship or to build a ship or you know, they're just going to come in anytime. So I was walking through the enchanted forest and I happened upon a damsel. No, that's not how life works. Okay. You, you got to step up. And so we're going to talk about what that looks like to step up. Now, in, in uh, 2 Peter, in the first chapter of 2 Peter, in the first nine verses, there's an interesting little thing that Peter gives, and it's, and it's kind of three things. So if you've been given this new year, and let's just say that you agree with me that you're given it on purpose, for a purpose, by God, then uh, it gives you three things. In the first, uh, maybe 
end of the first verse through about the fourth verse, um, he, he lays out the opportunity. So the opportunity in front of us is we have this new year. What are we going to do with it? But in light of having a new year, what are we going to do with it? We should look at some other things we've been given. So he gives an opportunity there. Here's the opportunity that you have in front of you. And then in verses uh, five through seven, he says, now here's how you can process. Here's how you can step into that opportunity. And he gives you some things to work on in the new year. Uh, seven of them there. And then at the end, he says, now here are the results if you don't do this. And conversely, by implication, if you do this, then you won't have these things or uh, opposite. So let me start with the end. Let me start with the, the last uh, part of it. Uh, and, and I think it's kind of interesting. Here's what he says, and then we'll go back and find out how you get there. For if you possess these qualities, so we have a hint what he's going to tell us to do to step into this opportunity. If you possess these qualities in increasing measures, in other words, if you're doing it and you're growing in it, then, and I, I think this is probably one of my favorite passages of all of Scripture, uh, for you possess these qualities in increasing measures, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ineffect now, there's nobody here today that's going into the new year going, you know, I just hope I can be really ineffective and unproductive this year, right? <laughs> Not even millennials. <laughs> so one of my New Year's resolutions was not to ever hear this year, okay, uh, boomer, okay, boomer. I think I just did that, though, didn't I? I just blew up. Sorry, millennials, I apologize. It'll probably happen again. So, um, but we love you. So in this, he says, you don't want to be ineffective. Conversely, if you are doing these things, you will be productive and effective. Sounds more like what we're aiming for this year, right? In, in, in life and in your faith. And then in verse uh, 9, he says, oh, by the way, also, if you don't do these things, well, here's what it says. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So what he's saying is, if you aren't engaged in these things, then you're probably living a very short-sighted life. As a Christian, you've forgotten what God has done for you, and you're not looking to the future, what God wants to do in you and through you. You're just right here, and it doesn't pay off, okay? So that's how it ends. So how do we get there? So let's, let's move up to the beginning of that passage and, and start looking at verses, uh, second part of verse 1 and then through 5. It says, uh, through 4, To those who, through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. So there's the first one you might want to circle. If you have a Bible, if you have uh, an app on your phone, faith as precious as ours. Then in verse 2, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Not a bad thing to have. A lot of grace, a lot of peace. Pretty good deal, I think. That'll help your new year. Um, in abundance through the knowledge, here's another one in a circle, knowledge of God and of our of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has, here's underlying this one, has given us everything we need now, we live in a world that the entire economy is based on convincing you you don't have everything you need, right? The whole economy is based on there's some stuff we've got that you need. You just really need this stuff, right? We just went through Christmas for Pete's sakes. We know this, right? He's saying, Peter said, no, you have everything you need. Go on. You might want to underline that. For a godly life through our knowledge of him. Again, this word knowledge, an important word in this passage, who called us by his glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may, you may and this is a weird one. This, is a, this was really, I had to work on this one a bit. We, you, will have, you may have, you may participate in the divine nature. What in the world does that mean? You may participate in the divine nature. I mean, that's just gobbledygook, right? I don't even know what that means. Well, let's walk through it in a minute, and I'll, I'll show you. Having escaped the corruption that the world caused by evil desires. So 
Here's what's interesting. You read that, and it's just like, right? So this letter was written, and the readers would have taken this letter and not just read it once like we do a letter and then put it aside, reply, whatever. They would have read it and read it and read it. And so the New Testament, especially the uh, letters written to the church of the New Testament, are just jam-packed. Almost every word is filled with theology, with an understanding of God, teaching on who God is, how we relate to God. And this one is no different. I can't hit all of them even in these first three verses, but I'm going to give you some highlights, all right? So let me give you the highlights of the first three verses. Um, The first one, he says we have a precious faith, a precious faith. Now, uh, Peter, we believe Peter to be the 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 author of this this book, Um, and and if, if that's indeed true, then it was toward the end of his life. And he uses the word precious. Even in just the three verses we read today, he talks about precious faith and precious promises. He uses the word precious about seven or eight times in the book, very short book. He uses it a lot. So it kind of leads me to think, and, and others, uh, to think that as he gets toward the end of his life, he is valuing certain things more than maybe he did at an earlier time. That maybe some things he might have taken for granted, he now is able to look at it and go, that is really precious, valuable, fragile in a sense, maybe. So like, uh, I can compare this to kids. When you're raising kids, you're just, you're just trying to keep them fed and clothed and not playing in the toilet, right? Toddlers, right? right? You, never want to, you never want a toddler loose in your house because they're going to the toilet. They're going to play, right? Not, not true? Just my grandkids. I'll buy that. So you're so busy trying to keep them from getting into trouble, getting sick, getting hurt, and you're exhausted. And at the end of the day, you just can't wait till they go to sleep. And then, but see that, and a parent, you, you appreciate him, you like him sometimes, but and, and you love him all the time. But but it's hard, right? But that's what's great about being a grandparent, because my grandkids are precious. Even when they play in the toilet, here he's your kid. Clean him up. He's precious, though. <laughs> precious. He's precious. <laughs> so last few days, we spent a lot of time with our grandkids in, uh, in the last couple of weeks. And, and uh, you know, that's amazing because as a grandparent now who's not caught up in the exhaustion, although it wore me out, I'm not going to lie about that, but caught up in the exhaustion of everyday duties and all that stuff, I actually look at them little munchkins and I just go, wow. You know, they just play hard till they get cranky at dinner and they hit a wall and they're out. And you just look at them, and you just go, that's precious. Look at them. They're just like little fingers, little wrinkles on their knuckles, and little ears, and they're like human beings. <laughs> right? And as a grandparent, they're so precious to me. There's not anything I wouldn't do for them. Because as a dad, I love one of my kids a lot. <laughs> as, a gran- as a grandpa, my, my grandkids are precious. Here's Peter saying there's some things in his life that he never wants to take for granted. And faith is the first one. Precious faith. If you have a relationship with God, you have this faith. This not just the ability to believe, but a relationship that is growing. That is truly precious, never to be taken for granted. It's a precious faith and a relationship. Or he used the word knowledge of him two times already in these first three. I'll talk about what that means. It's not just an intellectual understanding, but it's not an unintellectual understanding. It is, it is about this relationship. We'll talk about that more in a moment. And then, uh, and then the third thing that is mentioned already in these first three verses that sets us up for these seven things that you were to work on is a new spiritual DNA. He says that we get to part- we, we, we may have participation in the divine nature. 
That just sounds like mythology or something, doesn't it? Participation in the divine nature. What in the world does that mean? So uh, I hope you can get this analogy. I, I don't know if it works for everybody, but it did for me. So I don't know why I was reading, and I read about how in a bone marrow transplant, you can actually, your body will change its DNA. The DNA of your, I'm not saying that right, but you know what I'm saying? So in other words, what happens, it, generally, it doesn't happen every time. It can happen temporarily with blood transfusion, as I understand it. I'm not a medical person. It's just some reading. If I'm medical, medically wrong, come correct me afterwards. But so it can happen in transfusion, but just very temporarily. But in a, it's possible with a bone marrow transplant, what they do is you've got cancer, you've got some, some uh, awful disease thing happening there. And, you, and so they, through radiation and chemo, they kill off a lot of your cells. And, to, and, and the worse the cancer is, the more they're going to kill off. And eventually, um, they're going to replace that with somebody else's. And what can happen then is that then you are no longer carrying your DNA, you're carrying their DNA. Now, this is kind of a rare, weird situation where they have it. There was a criminal case in which there was DNA evidence of an attack, and there was clearly DNA. It was clear who had done it. The problem was the person whose DNA it was, because no two DNAs are alike, was in prison at the time of the attack. So how does that work? They began to do some research. They found out that he had given a, a, a bone marrow transplant to his brother several years earlier. And his brother had committed the crime. Now, stick with me. When, oh, by the way, this is just also theory. This has not happened. It probably wouldn't happen. I'll tell you why. But theoretically, they're suggesting that if a male were to have this happen, that his offspring could carry the DNA of somebody else, his donor, and not him. Now, after going through radiation and chemo, the chance of having kids is, you know, minimal. But theoretically, it's possible that the offspring, now that's interesting for the analogy in a minute. You with me so far? Should I just quit now and go to the next one? Because you're looking confused. So the Bible says that when we, when we become Christians, we become a new creation. As a matter of fact, there's an interesting conversation. Nicodemus said, Jesus, how can I be born again? I can't enter into my mother's womb. And Jesus was saying, no, it's not about your physical birth. It's about your spiritual rebirth. So what if you and I were born with damaged DNA, damaged spiritual DNA? What if there was something in our spiritual DNA that said, be selfish? Always think about yourself first. Don't worry about other people so much as just getting to where you want to go. By the way, it's called sin, and it's in every one of our spiritual DNA because we live in a fallen world and we're fallen beings. And so in our spiritual DNA, if you allow me to use that analogy, there is a brokenness. There is this thing called sin, and we all are prone to it. But what if in the new creation, we accept Christ and we're forgiven for all we've done wrong, he begins to make us a new creation. He begins to put a new spiritual DNA in us. Would we then take part in, participate in the divine nature? So what does nature do? Well, you look at the nature of something. It, uh, birds, their nature uh, makes them want to be in trees and in the sky. Most breeds of birds, I know there are exceptions, ostriches, whatever, most of them live up high. And if you see a bird on the ground, he's probably sick if he's there for any length of time because that's not his nature. Uh, what's in an elephant's nature? Elephant's nature is to hang out with other elephants, right? They don't hang out with like lions and zebras except 
tangentially, they're not really there with them. So who they hang out with is affected by their nature. Where they live is affected by their nature. How they behave. The same is true for us. As God changes our DNA, our spiritual DNA, we begin to change the places we go. We begin to look differently at the people we're around and who we hang out with and how they're influencing us. It changes what we want to do and be. So for example, I'm pretty sure in my, in my DNA of being born in a spiritual DNA, I think I may be one of the most competitive people in the world. I compete with everybody all the time. On the freeway, <laughs> at the grocery store in line. Have you ever gotten upset because somebody started out behind you and ended up in front of you and it ticked you off and you just felt like a failure for the day? You ever felt like, me either, but I've heard people have done that kind of stuff. <laughs> but then I read scripture and it says, well, love everybody. Your motivation should not be competition, but love. Even in confronting somebody, you do it in love. Well, that doesn't fit with my DNA at all. The only way I'm going to get from here to here is I'm going to have to have some different DNA. Do you know what I'm saying? Something's got to change in me spiritually. And that is God's divine nature. If I want to become more like Jesus, he's going to have to do some work in me by his Holy Spirit to change that. What Peter is giving us in this list, the seven things, actually, is what it, begin, what it looks like when we begin to let him do that. By the way, it, and this analogy breaks down at this point a little bit, but in, in a blood transfusion, you can actually have both DNAs in your body at a given time. You can sample one part of your body and get one DNA, sample another part and get a different DNA for a period of time. It's also true with, uh, with uh, bone marrow transplants, depending on how much you would had killed off beforehand. I almost feel that way as a Christian sometimes. My old DNA is pulling me over here. My new DNA is going over here. And you're just like, oh gosh, this is not manageable. This is why a bunch of people say they come to church and they go out and live like something else the rest of the week. And I can just see them going, Wah. I'm just going, that's got to be painful. Pick your side. Which DNA are you going to follow? Which one are you going to do? Because otherwise you're going to be split in half. It's going to hurt, right? Does that make sense? You okay? Too graphic? You all right? Okay. <laughs> Got a science lesson and a sermon. <laughs> and I'm not even, even going to charge you extra. So he wants to do in you this year, and then as he's doing in you, as he's working in you to create someone more like Jesus, he will use that by working through you to impact others. So now, verses 5 through 7, it says this. Um, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. Last night I took each of these in turn and explained them, and I loved what this passage says. It's incredible. We didn't get home till 11.30, so they told me I could only do three or four of them today. But this is a great passage. So let me walk them. So there's, there are seven things that we can begin to work on, and we can even set goals for this year to let God help us become more like Jesus. Uh, but there's a prerequisite, and it is the word faith. It says, do, uh, make every effort to add to your faith. So the, the prerequisite is faith. Now, I just want to say this. If, if, if you're a person who um, doesn't believe in Jesus or hasn't chosen to follow Jesus, you're examining the possibilities, the spirituality, whatever it might be, I'm really glad you're here. I'm really glad you're here. I just need to warn you, the rest of the sermon won't work for you. It, it only works as your relationship with God and the Holy Spirit is released to empower you to live these out. You're just going to get frustrated. So I just want to warn you up front. But I want to congratulate you for being here. 
because at some point all of us have had to come to a place where we had to make a decision about Christ. And maybe that's the first New Year's resolution you need to have this year, which is I need to make a decision about Jesus. Not about something fuzzy like spirituality or religion or church. About Jesus. It's really about Jesus. Was Jesus who he said he was? Because we like to kind of, we kind of fudge on this intellectually. We like to fudge. Like, well, he was a good teacher. No, he was a liar if that's all he was because he said he was God. So if he was just a good teacher and he wasn't God, then he lied. So he's not a good teacher, so that doesn't really work, right? He said he was God incarnate, came so that we could be forgiven and we could be, uh, have restoration in our relationship with God and we could be changed and shaped to be more like Jesus by the work of the Holy Spirit and we could live forever in heaven. That's what he said. And so I would challenge you, maybe you came at Christmas and somebody dragged you here and, and you heard something and kind of, oh, maybe, I don't know, these people are kind of weird, but they might have something. I'm going to check it out. Well, I'm glad you're back. And I would challenge you to come to grips with the person of Jesus. Study him. Read, read the Gospel of John. Um, begin to study. Don't take other people's word for it. Begin to study for yourself. Is Jesus who he said he was? And if he was, if you come to, and you don't have to be 100% convinced, but if you kind of think maybe he was, then the only really logical, rational response is to say, okay, you know better than me. I'm going to put you in charge of my life. I'm not only going to ask you to forgive everything I've done wrong because that bad DNA I got from birth. I'm not only going to ask you to forgive me, and I'm not only going to hope that you're going to take me to heaven, I'm also going to ask you to be in charge of my life now, to guide me, to direct me. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And so it says in this, make every, so by the way, if you haven't done that and you'd like to do that, we would love to pray with you. There'll be some folks down front afterwards. We'd love to, we're not going to take you in a weird room and dress you goofy or something. I don't know. We're just going to say, here's what it means to believe in Jesus. And we'll pray with you and we'll tell you to read the book of John and we'll give you our names to call us if you have any questions. It's that simple. Or maybe you don't want to talk to somebody here. Maybe you have a Christian friend who is a true Christian, a biblical, uh, uh, with biblical understanding. And just say, hey, I want to do this. And it's just simple as a prayer. You say, Lord, I believe in you. I believe you were who you say you were. I, I want to live my life following you. It's that simple. And that's what you need to do to get started on this, this journey that we're talking about here. And there'll be some folks down front afterwards love to talk to you more about that. So that's a prerequisite. So it says, add to your faith. Now, what's interesting about this, it says, um, for this very reason, make every effort. It doesn't just simply. So make every effort is a really strong word. It's like, it's, it's not like just, you know, hope this works out you know, it, it, or, or be passive and God's going to do it. No, no, this is about you. It's kind of, so, so it's like anybody's ever lifted weights and you had a spotter and you, and you're, and you're stuck and they reach over and they just put just the very least they can. And you're thinking, use your whole hand because that's about to fall on my face. And, and they're doing this. No, you got it. You got it. You got it. They're only going to do just what's necessary. I'm not sure God's like that, but he's a little like that. You know what I'm saying? Like he expects me to lift that bar a little bit. He's going to do most of the heavy lifting. I understand that at the end of the day. But I need to do some lifting here. And it says, make every effort. This is like, really put some effort into this thing. And God will honor you for that. Um, because you can't earn your salvation, but you can be a partner in your sanctification. Meaning, becoming like Jesus. You've got to be a partner in that deal. Okay? We good? You good? This is the good stuff. We're about to get to it. You awake? You ready? Do we need to take a stretch or anything? Okay. So, goodness. The first one is goodness. Now, this is mastery. It means mastery over something. But what's interesting about this, we read goodness, we go, yeah, I get it. Be good. Don't be bad. Like a little kid. Now be good now. No, 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 no. It's much deeper than that. It's much more than that. It's not just about virtue versus, versus evil. It, it, it includes that, but that's just the beginning of it. So let's say, like I like to do, uh, I like to make sawdust and stuff. So, so let's say I had a wood plane 
And this wood plane is the best of the best. It is the finest wood plane. And it was made to make really nice, uh, smooth wood. And let's say when you take that thing, it is sharpened perfectly, it is tuned up, and you push that across the wood. And when it goes across, it produces these fine little shavings, almost like lace. And you can almost, it almost sings when it goes across the wood. Now, I don't actually have a plane like that, nor would I know how to use one like that. But you would say that that tool is a good tool, would you not? You might even say it's excellent. Why would you say that? Not because it's beautiful, not because it likes you, because it's a tool, but because it does exactly what it was made to do. This word for good can also be translated excellent because it fulfills the purpose for which it was created. So what were you created for? To give glory to God. To give glory to God. What does that mean? Does that mean I go around going, glory to God, glory to God? No. What it means is that as you live your life, you so fulfill what you were created for that people look at you and go, wow, they are really good. And as they look at your goodness, they go, but how did they get there? And then they see God. You say, well, I don't, I don't know. Okay, what about these singers? Right these sing- Would you say these singers are pretty good? I mean, I've taught, yeah. I've, I've taught most of them everything they know, but... Um, But here's where real goodness works. As a singer is up here singing, they've worked on their craft, but they, God gifted them with that ability, right? Both the voice and, and, or the playing, but they've worked on that craft, and together their effort and God's gift, if it is done right, it is you look at them and go, wow, they're great, and wow, isn't what they're singing about, the one they're singing about, incredible. They're giving glory to God. You're saying, well, that's great for singers, preachers, whatever. Well, what about accountants? What if you were such a good accountant you are so excellent that when you called your client and said, by the way, I have good news. You overpaid by 100000 Do you think that person would give glory to God? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. By the way, I've gone over your stuff. You don't owe the IRS anything. They owe you money. Praise God. <laughs> right? The point of this goodness is not just not to do not not bad stuff, which is, that's part of the point, but it is to be good at what God created you to do and to give glory to God. You know, worship isn't just something we do at church where you sang and somebody raise your hands, whatever. That's worship, but worship is also how you use the gifts, opportunities, passions, experiences that God has allowed you to have or has given you in order to bring glory to God. You have a lot more opportunity to bring glory to God on your job tomorrow than you do in this place here. We're here together, but the worship is not, God doesn't need our worship. That's for us to grow, to depend on him. But to give him glory tomorrow on the job, you have a lot more opportunity than you do right now. Maybe you have some opportunity in the parking lot on the way out, depending on how you drive. But So to be good is to be that for which. So here's my assignment. I have assignments for all seven of these, and we're not going to get to any of them, but uh, not, well, maybe three. But maybe I'll put them on the website if you want them. Your assignment for this year is not only to be a Christian, be a person of faith, which you talked about, but to figure out why God put you here. What is it that when you do it, you go, I know I was made for this. First time I preached a public sermon in front of adults, um, two things happened. I got done. I had gone way too long. And my, my best friend's dad walked down the aisle, walked by me, and he said, you spoke too bleep long. He was a Christian. He just hadn't gotten his mouth and his tongue saved yet. But he, I, he, that was the first one. I went, well, thank you. God bless you. And, uh, and then this lady who was just this most wonderful, sweet saint, 
said to me, and she knew I spoke long, and everybody knew I spoke long, and it wasn't very good, and I knew it wasn't very good, and they knew it wasn't very good, and, but she was so sweet and such a firm and she goes, how did it feel? And I said, I have to be honest. I feel like I was made to do this. Now, why would you live your life any other way? If the possibility exists that you would know why you're on this earth and you would just, your life would just sing, why would you want to do anything else? The assignment is to figure out what those things are. He's had this old guy attended our church for many years. He's moved away now. And, and he's always, I do sermons on this kind of stuff. And he'd go, oh, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Year after year after year. And finally, I was just fed up. I'm like, dude, that's not my problem. God gifted you. God wants you to know what the gifts are. So where's the problem? You. Now go figure out what you're supposed to do and leave me. No, I didn't say that part. But I wanted to say that last part. Why would you go through your life? Why would you go through this year? Much less without knowing what it is God put you on this. Saying, well, I don't know. That's kind of. Okay, let's just start with some easy stuff. Are you mom or dad? Then I know one thing you're supposed to do. <laughs> I know one thing that God put you on this earth to do. Your life can sing when you love those kids and honor God and give glory to Him. Your life can sing. Are you a spouse? Do you have any friends? Are you a Christian? We could start there because there's some very definite things that go with those things. And then as you begin to grow in it, you begin to grow in the knowledge of God and who He made you to be, you'll move more and more in line with who He made you to be, and your life will start to sing. You know that plane, if it's not tuned, it just, it just vibrates, and it leaves chunks and makes a mess. I'm just saying. It'd be a great year to figure out why God left you on this earth. And then it goes, not only add to your faith goodness, but add to your goodness knowledge. I don't have a lot of time to do this, but knowledge, this isn't the kind of thing where you go, well, so, yeah, uh, have you ever met somebody who just knows a Bible and knows stuff, but they're just not nice? You ever met somebody like that? You didn't grow up in the churches I grew up in then. Um, this knowledge thing isn't just an intellectual understanding. It is actually a knowledge that is gained. So, so in the New Testament, uh, it, in, in the early church, there was this thing called Gnosticism. And it were these people, to really simplify it, said, we know something you don't know. This Christianity thing is about having a superior knowledge, and we know something you don't know. And, it would, and in the modern kind of cult language, it would sound like this. Oh, you just don't get it. We get it. You don't get it. That's not Christianity. It's not something you achieve. It's not something you are. Here's what it is, and this is very humbling. This is what it is. The knowledge being talked about here is knowledge gained through obedience. In other words, the more I do what he tells me to do, the more I realize that he wants good for me and that his ideas are better than my ideas. When you're trying to live your life and you have this urge to take a shortcut here to do this thing here, but you don't and you trust him, it always turns out better than the other way. You don't always see it immediately, but it turns out better. And the more I trust him, the more I want to trust him because he's been right every single... Let's say you've got a doctor, okay? And you've got a doctor and you've been with this, this doctor for 30 years and he's always taken great care of you. And he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home and I want you to stick this thing in your nose, let it run up through your sinuses back out the other side. Nobody would ever say that, right? And you go, well, that just sounds weird. I don't know how it's going to help my sinus infection, but this doctor has been right for 30 years. I'm going to trust him. And you go buy yourself a neti pot or whatever those things are called, and, and you do it, right? Because you trust the doctor. The same is true in Christianity. As I trust and do life his way, the more I trust him because it worked. 
the knowledge I have of God, the more I do his way, the more I realize he really does want what's best for me. His character really is perfect. He doesn't have ill intentions toward me. And as I used to think as a teenager, he's not out trying to catch me having fun and knock me over. You know, it's not about that. It is about really helping me become more like Jesus and have the life that I was designed to have, that I want to have. And so this knowledge isn't about, okay, I'm going to fill my brain with all this stuff. We should read God's word. We should understand it. Absolutely. But this knowledge comes from obeying it, not just intellectually knowing it. So add to your faith, goodness, your goodness, knowledge, add to your knowledge, self-control. Nobody wants to talk about that. Let's skip that one. (laughs) It's not the kind of self-control we think about. It's in a Holy Spirit empowered. God, please help me to not do these things, to not fall into these excesses. Please help me. It's inviting the Holy Spirit in. Um, Patience. Um, We don't want to talk about this one either. Uh, But this is probably a more important one than maybe some of the others in, in some ways. In the, in the society in which we live. It just simply says, in James 1, 2 through 4 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Patience, perseverance, same word in the original language. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If you didn't get that passage, what it means is all those things you're impatient about are probably the things going to be the best for you if you'll just walk through them with God's help. The things that you've been waiting on, the things you're walking through, the trials, the difficulties, all that kind of stuff, and you're saying, God, get me out of here. If you'll just keep a sweet spirit and keep trusting God, it's going to shape you into the person God wants you to be. That's what the point of that is. And we live in a, in a hurry, scurry, and crash kind of <laughs> society. We're always in a hurry. We're always getting things done until we can't anymore, until we get sick, and we have to go to bed. And, but then we get up and we do it all again, right? And because we're just living that. We just got to. We just got to. Uh, this week is interesting because uh, since Christmas, I... Spent a lot of time with the grandkids, and, and uh, Ezra and I were playing one-on-one football in the yard the other day. Hard game. <laughs> the, the passing game is really tough. And, um, and, and his scorekeeping is interesting. But anyway, so we're playing out there, and I'm exhausted. I'm out of breath. I can't run anyway, so we decided to quit. And Cody's been overworking on something over here, and he and I have been playing this whole time. And, and so he, Ezra ran inside, and Cody said, hey, Dad, thanks for, thanks for playing with him. And I went, what are you thanking me for? It's my grandson. Of course I'm going to play with him. But what was funny is he didn't know that before the, uh, Christmas, because things are crazy around here, super busy, I had made a commitment to myself that I wasn't going to take on any new projects. I wasn't going to work on anything in the house. I wasn't going to do anything for two weeks because I knew I was going to be around the grandkids. If I was in a project, I wouldn't spend time with them. So I set aside those two weeks from any projects, anything that I wanted to do, any stuff that I was interested in doing, that kind of thing, so that I could be with them. That's the only reason we were able to play football that day, because I had made room in my schedule. What would it be like for us impatient folks, always moving, always got to get something done, to put a little margin in our schedule for one-on-one football games, for a mentoring session, for a God-ordained inconvenience <laughs> or just for time with God what would it be like for you to take 10% of your time and go nope I'm not filling that one see we try to operate at 120% all the time what if you decide to operate at 90% and left the 10% for God and for relationships and for other stuff and just slow down a little bit just be okay with the interruptions God may need you to do something else right now that may be the most important thing you do all year. Who knows if one-on-one football was the most important thing I did last year? It might have been. Who knows? I know it was important. More important than I would have thought about in advance, probably. We've had conversations ever since. Most of them arguing who won the game, but hey, whatever. We're talking. Um, 
Choose to put some margins in your schedule. And then add to your patient's godliness. And this is, um, this is about your, your habits, about your reflex, uh, the way you react to things, and your intuitions, um, and about making decisions God's way. And studying God's word helps us make better decisions. And then to godliness, brotherly kindness, which is the word Philadelphia. I hear there's a football game today. Is that true? Just ask it. Okay. Um, and um, this word Philadelphia is really important. I'm going to take two extra minutes here. This word Philadelphia is about brotherly, sisterly love. It's about mutual, warm, mutual affection. And, um, and so I need you to just think about this for a moment. Who is writing this? His name is Peter. Do you remember who Peter was when we first met him? Peter was this wild, rambunctious, always acting. He was kind of one of those ready, fire, aim guys, you know, like, like some people I know, me. And, uh, and he, was always, he was always running when he should stop. He was always cutting guys' ear off when he should not, right? You remember all this stuff about Peter? He was always claiming, like, you know, front like he was going to do something, and he couldn't even not do it in front of a teenage girl. He denied Christ. Remember that? The whole thing, Peter, Mr. Out of Control all the time. Remember what the disciples were always doing? Arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Well, I'm going to sit on his left. I'm going to sit on his right. I'm going to be a big shot, right? Remember all that stuff? Here is this same Peter. His DNA, his spiritual DNA has changed, and he's now saying one of the most important things you can do in life is develop a warm, mutual affection for other believers. This is about Christians, about other Christians. A warm, mutual... Now, I, I would challenge you in the next couple of days, sit down and write out your circle of mutual, warm, mutual affection. Who's in that? I challenge you, first of all, is there anybody outside your family in that? Right? Because that's what we're looking for at Christmas, isn't it? Warm, mutual affection. And yet, here's Peter saying, that's something you can work on. With God's help, that's something you can work on. So here's, here's what I'd like you to do. I would like you to purpose this year, to set, it, set a, a New Year's resolution, to expand your warm, mutual affection circle. So, well, how do I do that? Well, so I find somebody who needs some help and start helping them. Join a rooted group. I'll guarantee you in a rooted group, you, you won't have warm mutual affection for everybody probably, but there'll be somebody in there because you know what warm mutual affection is about? Unlike the next one, this one is about us. We have this in common. So what you'll do, you'll sit in your, your group and you go, oh, you do that? I do that too. Let's talk about that. And all of a sudden, you've got a new relationship going there. Or you say, oh, you're struggling with that? Man, I've been through that. Can I just talk to you through a couple things uh, if you're open to that? And you will find some of you will have mutual affection there, this warm mutual affection. I would challenge you to join a rooted group this year. I would challenge you to serve somewhere. Serve next to somebody around you. May not, you may not ever guess what God's going to do through that. Another one is mentor. If you're a person who has something to offer, be available to mentoring. And by the way, if you're a younger person or somebody who needs to learn something, you can't look everything up on Google. Sometimes you've got to come alongside somebody who's been there and done that, right? And I, so here's young people, ah, I don't want to bug them. I don't, I don't, well, A, I don't need a mentor. Yes, you do. Information is different than wisdom. You gain wisdom in a mentoring relationship. I feel passionate about this. Can you tell? Sorry. And, well, nobody wants to mentor me. I guarantee if you go to somebody, any older person, uh, uh, girls go to women, men go to, uh, guys go to men, you go to them and say, I need some mentoring spiritually. Ain't nobody going to say no. Because they say no, you come tell me who they are and I will talk to them. <laughs> but, what would it be like if you spent this year mentoring a person and help walk them through whatever it is they're struggling with, whether it's a new relationship or a, an old habit? <laughs> what would that be like? You might end up with a warm mutual affection, a Philadelphia, if you will. <laughs> and the last one is love. It's the word agape. And in this context, it means not, not just love for those who are like you or in the body of Christ, but love for those who aren't here yet. And... Um, 
Agape is always a self-sacrificing, other-focused, other-benefiting kind of love. And in this context, it means to love those who don't know the good news that God loves them yet. And um, I believe that these all kind of go together. If you want to have an effective and productive year, it will include this one, which is maybe sharing your faith with someone. Maybe sharing a, a testimony or an invitation or just befriending someone who doesn't know how much God loves them yet. Cody's going to talk more about this next week, but I believe this may be a year for us to learn how to be committed to. If we're going to be all that God wants us to be, it includes loving those who don't know yet. And I, it may very well be that God left you here in 2020 because there's someone in your sphere of influence that doesn't know yet. And God's giving you another shot at them so that they too can have heaven forever. They can have a relationship with Christ now. The peace and the grace that is talked about in this passage, the empowerment, the participation in the divine nature that allows us to be different than that old evil desires, which it mentions, is the reference to that old DNA. Wouldn't it be great if next year you're sitting here next to someone who didn't know about Jesus and they're nodding their head like you're nodding your head right now? Wouldn't that be great? I think it would. Let's pray. Lord God, you love us so much. And uh, it's not because uh, we deserve it, but it's because that's who you are. And Lord, in your love for us, you've given us opportunities to partner with you to not only build a fulfilling life, but to impact the world in which we live. So Lord, I pray for this year. You have gifted us another year, and I believe that you have intentions for us, good intentions for our lives and good intentions for the world around us. And Lord, if we will just get next to you, follow you closely, work on these things, and allow your Holy Spirit to grow us that we could have the best year ever. So Lord God, that's what we're praying for. That's what we're believing for. And, uh, and we trust you because you are trustworthy. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.